episode 56 and after a week off joe we have hit the month of august we got sarah perlman on the pod this week a good friend of ours we met at nbc sports washington nice enough to talk to her talked a little baseball a little all-star game football some soccer a little bit of everything some basketball as well that interview with sarah perlman of the nbc sports edge betting show coming up now Pleased to welcome this week host of NBC Sports Edge betting show, Sarah Perlman. Sarah, it's nice to see you again. How's everything going? Hey, PJ. Everything's great. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be on your guys' podcast. Now, you work for NBC now. They're obviously carrying the Olympics. I'm sure you've been watching a bunch of that. Is there a moment so far that stood out for you that has been your favorite so far? It's been tough. I think for me, seeing Caleb Dressel win gold set a world Mm. record was really special. I went to Florida as did he, but just seeing his reaction was pretty priceless. I think about the fact that these athletes trained COVID obviously postponed the Olympics. They have to reset their bodies and their training mentality. And to see Caleb Dressel win gold for me was probably the most special. As I kind of said, his emotions were out of control. I was tearing up seriously. (laughs) Yeah, he won five goals. It kind of flew under the radar how well he did. Um, now, the Olympics is great because we get to watch all these obscure sports that we only get to see every four years. So what is your favorite of like the obscure sports, would you say? You know, I haven't watched too many obscure. I will say I dabbled in handball and I watched handball a lot of so much tennis. fun. <laughs> yes, handball is fun and table tennis, like sneaky good. It's intense. Watching the highlights after were really fun. <laughs> That's good. Uh, do you ever bet against Team USA anything? Because obviously there's the betting aspect of it with the show, and, and obviously we all love to bet. Or is it just too tough rooting against an American at that stage? I'll say this. It's way easier rooting for America when I bet on USA. <laughs> but my co-host, Drew, handicaps the Olympics. He's awesome at handicapping swimming. And he told me, take Great Britain for the relay. They came home. So I will say that was the one time. But it is really tough to go against USA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like me. I mean, there are plenty of times during the year when I can make a lot of money betting against the Jets or betting against the Mets or the Rangers. But like you can make comes... a lot of money betting <laughs> against the Jets. Yeah. So I, I, there's there's not many lines I draw when it comes to betting against my team. So <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, moving on to baseball. We had probably the craziest trade out trade deadline ever. Uh, obviously used to work in the DC area, your thoughts on the Nats trading Turner and Scherzer to LA and what it all meant, not just that trade, but all the trades for the futures betting landscape. I think there's a few things that stood out for me first and foremost. Yes. The Dodgers made a heck of a ton of good mood uh, moves. I think them getting Max Scherzer was the biggest, obviously, because given the Trevor Bauer situation, they needed another starting pitcher and someone that's not only familiar with the NL, but familiar with winning a world series and dominant in the postseason. So I think the Dodgers did absolutely outstanding job, especially on the Nats side too. got a lot of good prospects. And I think about Trey Turner, who was not going to accept that extension. It made a lot of sense moving him as well. I think for me, the Dodgers were the favorite. I personally have not bet on them to win the world series, nor the national league at this point, but a ton of good moves, but it was a wild trade deadline at first when I thought Max Scherzer was going to the Padres and, and a few rumors started speculating. I was thrilled. The Padres are a team that it's really hard not to like. And it seems like before, especially the Tatis injury. They were also really equipped to win, but I think the Dodgers came out on top. 
Um, a few surprising things, I guess I'll say, were the moves that the Yankees made. I think they made a lot of good moves, I guess, for their future. This year is going to be so tough, though, with the Rays and the Red Sox and and uh, even the Toronto Blue Jays. I was a little confused by some of the the big, you know, home run hitters they acquired in both Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo. So those were a few that kind of stood out to me that I wasn't uh, as high on just because you're in a really competitive division that I thought kind of got away from the Yankees, but maybe they will prove me wrong here. I think they just are on a, a nine game or nine out of 10 games wins now. So um, the final one is, is the Boston Red Sox stood out to me, not because the trades they made, although I think them getting a left-handed hitter was solid. Chris Sale's coming back. So this is a team that I've been high on for a long time. And as you guys probably know, I followed the AL East way too closely. So um, for many reasons, I think the Red Sox are one that that stood out to me just in terms of they got a little bit better, but having Chris Sale internally coming back is huge. And now you, you mentioned you're not personally betting on the NL for the World Series. And I think to the AL, you've got the White Sox running away with their division. We've got the Red Sox in a good position, like you said. We've got the Astros who are doing it without the cheating, we think, at least at this point. Um, <laughs> Who from the AL does stand out to you then as a legit contender there? Well, I will say I'm betting on the National League. It's just I didn't bet on the Los Angeles Dodgers yet. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Price are so short. Um, but I like the Padres. But now I'm going to have to reassess as we get down the stretch. The White Sox, that's a team I have a future on. I, I do love this White Sox team. And to your point, they are wrapping up this division I think ultimately they are, they're going to have a real shot at winning the AL. The Red Sox are a team though, that I would not be surprised to see make it down the stretch. They've had a lot of comeback wins. It'll come down to them and the Rays, of course, for many reasons, but I love the White Sox and I love the Red Sox. So I will just say the Sox teams, but a, a, a team in the national league that I wish I bought in earlier. And if you guys have tickets, congratulations. It'd be the San Francisco giants. Mm -hmm. They have been sneaky solid all season. And I guess we didn't really talk about them getting Chris Bryant, which was huge and acquiring him at the deadline. So that's a team I think could really make it out of the NL. And if you had a hundred to one ticket for them on the world series or 40 to one to win the NL, call me. Cause I'd like to make some <laughs> prop swap. For, for all the talk hey, of man. the Padres and the Dodgers, it's ridiculous seeing what the giants been able to do in that division. <laughs> Insane. Insane. Now, Sarah, we know that Scherzer and Turner went D.C. to L.A., but Russell Westbrook also <laughs> went D.C. to L.A. Which one of those trades, when you got the notification, would you say took you more by surprise? Oh, honestly, it was the baseball trade. I felt like the Lakers and LeBron had their eye on him for too long. I don't know if it made them that much better. Um, really kind of stars and scrubs lineup with so much money in there, but... Yeah, I think the, deep, the the baseball Scherzer-Turner trade surprised me the most because I felt like after Space Jam and all that, rumors were speculating and all of a sudden, whatever. Join the Lakers. Have fun. Congrats to Cowboys fans. <laughs> Cowboys fans, Alabama fans. Yeah. Fans. yeah. Good to be you. Whatever. Uh, before we get into the rapid-fire segment we do and the trivia question that we have for all our guests, uh, we got to ask you about All-Star Weekend and the Home Run Derby. <sighs> Obviously, your boyfriend, Trey Mancini, put on quite the show and I'm curious just what were the emotions going into that week for you for him given the last 16 months and everything just kind of all kind of culminating in that event yeah that's a great way to put it honestly super emotional um I've been to the home run derby in DC when Nats Park had it for work before obviously way more you know emotionally invested in this one having Trey in it really crazy week leading up to it. Um, just a lot of emotions kind of thinking full circle. Our story is very public about Trey being diagnosed with cancer. So a year ago, we were in a much more different situation than we were um, this year at the home run derby. So 
we both were pretty much crying and kind of excited of jitters leading up to it. Just almost shock. Um, not, not because he didn't deserve it just because it was so many emotions, but we got out there and Denver's awesome. Coors Field's one of my favorite fields on the, in the planet. And it was crazy because it was a full atmosphere. You know, since COVID, we haven't had a jam-packed sporting event like that in so long. And the home run derby's fun. And you're at Coors Field, altitude, balls are flying. It was electric is the best way to put it. So honestly, I told everyone that was hands down the best sporting event I have ever been to. And it would be really hard for something else to top that. Put on a great performance nonetheless, but we had so much fun, family, friends, and it was, like I said, super exciting and, and one of the best probably days of, of my life. And I think his as well. Yeah. I could say this as a diehard Mets fan. I was rooting avidly against Pete Alonso. I promise you that. <laughs> we had a lot of people behind us that came in like big Shohei fans or big Matt, uh, Matt Olson fans. And when they left, they were big Trey fans. So credit to people who were sitting behind us. Cause I swear they were yelling for Trey louder than me. And I thought that was impossible. <laughs> That's great. Did he talk about like how tired he was after because Soto and all these guys just look exhausted the farther that they went into it. We had a feeling he was going to go first having not played in the 2020 season so uh no surprise there yes I got a text after the first round I have the chills thinking about it it was so funny I'm looking at my phone service is kind of crappy for lack of a better term there's a billion people and I got a text and he was like hey babe I am gassed <laughs> and I was like well you got a lot of time because you know in between the first and second round between Soto and Shohei, just he had so much time um, to get ready for the next round. But yes, he said he was so tired, but a lot of people say they're really sore after, um, but he woke up the next day feeling pretty good. And, and so no, no issues there. And I know it's kind of helped a lot of people swings joking around. So he was tired, but not, um, not the day after, which a lot of people weren't as just in between rounds, he was like gassed. <laughs> right. No, I mean, I can't even imagine how it felt for you, for him. I mean, even me, as I was watching it, like I think back to last January of 2020, the, the NBC Sports Washington winter party, you were there, Trey was there, I was there, PJ was there, we were all like drinking, having a good time. And it's like two months later, things shut down. Shortly after that, like everything that happened with Trey and then to be there watching it, then 16 months later, COVID, cancer, everything mm -hmm. at that moment, which is awesome to watch. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was everywhere rooting for him. Oh, good. Yeah, it, it was incredible. Truly incredible. All right. Now, just like we said, we got to get you out of here. We know you're busy. We thank you for taking the time. Uh, the rapid fire segment and the trivia question. So number one of the Swift seven, one NFL team you're fading in the futures markets and one that you absolutely love. Let me think. Let me think. I think it's going to be tough not to fade the Bengals. I think it's going to be a team I'm going to have to fade maybe along with the Colts for the first five weeks of the season, quarterback injury, tough schedule, two teams that I think I'm going to have to fade a team that I'm really high on. Well, there's two and we're close to both the one of them and same division. It's going to be the Browns and the Ravens. I think those two teams are going to have it uh, awesome seasons. And I'll be curious to see who takes the division and how they do in the playoffs. All right. Number two, what's your favorite sport to bet? Football. football. Yeah. Uh, NFL three, or college? Oh. NFL. Okay. I agree. Okay. Uh, number three, the number one item on your sports bucket list would be what? I want to go to a Premier League soccer game. All right. That's a good one. Uh, number four, favorite sports movie? Bend it like Beckham. Number five. I played soccer in college, in case you guys didn't know. So yeah, this, up. it's going to take PJ right into this next question. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're soccer Sarah. We know. Yes. Uh, number five, who's your favorite women's national team soccer player? U.S. women's national team. 
current? Yes. I'll have to go with Rapino. I think she's made a really big impact on the country. Good leader to have finishing out her career. Number six, which basketball player do you think is a bigger deal in their country? Giannis in Greece or Luca in Slovenia? That is so good. <laughs> I think I'll have to go off recency bias and say Giannis only because he just won the NBA championship and he's incredible. I mean, I love them both, but Giannis, I'll say. And then number seven, uh, you bet golf. I know you were out in Lake Tahoe recently. <laughs> if you could play around with any celebrity, who would it be? Hmm. Could be an athlete. You can't say Trey. That's too actor, easy. <laughs> no, no. Trey and I both don't play golf. And I just recently got into betting golf and covering golf for, for NBC and golf channel. And it's something Trey and I play a lot of tennis, true story. So we're trying to get into golf, but Trey's better lefty. Cause if not, it kind of ruins his baseball swing if he golfs righty. So, you know, we're both going to take lessons. That being said, when we were in Tahoe, Charles Barkley was there and I heard he's not that great at golf. So I think that'd be fun. We could talk betting NBA. And if he's not that great, I won't feel a lot of pressure to be good. <laughs> Charles would be a good time. What about tennis? If you could play with somebody, who would it be? Oh, that's a good one. Matthew McConaughey. Okay. I don't know if he plays tennis. I just read his book and I love him. And then Trey and I talk a lot about him. I don't know why we love his movies. And um, like I said, his book. So I think it'd be Matthew McConaughey. Well, and if you're a soccer Sarah and you love Matthew McConaughey, then Austin FC is your new team in MLS, I suppose. I guess I'm going to have to. <laughs> um, Sarah, before we let you go, we do a trivia question with everybody. Oh, gosh. Okay. And we know that you went to the University of Florida. Football season's obviously coming up. So 90 seconds, you have three strikes. Your question is, since Steve Spurrier, the University of Florida has had five full-time head coaches. And Spurrier's last season was 2001. So since then to currently, can you name the five football head coaches for the University of Florida? Okay. Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen, that is correct. The current coach. Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, correct. Okay, I'm blanking on his name that went to South Carolina after. Um, hold on. I was there when he was there. What the heck? <laughs> How many seconds do I have? You still got like 65. You got plenty of time. Will Muschamp. There you there go. You Will go. Muschamp. Okay, two, two more. more. Two more. Two more. What year? What year am I missing here? So you're missing the guy before Urban, and then you're missing the guy who was right before Dan Mullen and after Will Muschamp from 2015 to 2017. Charlie Strong? Not Charlie Strong. He was the interim coach, I believe. He was the interim over after right. Will Muschamp got fired. I don't know. 30 seconds left. Ron Zuck, who was there? Ron Zuck, Ron, yes, Zuck. Ron Zuck, okay, okay. How many more do I have? You just need one more. You got 20 seconds left. Zuck was right before Urban Meyer. So you need the one uh, 2015 to 2017. I believe he's still coaching at Central Michigan right now. Gary, Gary Darnell? No. Not Gary Darnell, nope. Who is that? Jim McElwain. Jim McElwain. Oh my gosh, duh, Jim McElwain. I was even there for part of his season. <laughs> Jim Mack Ron Zook was a hell of a pull. That's a great pull, yeah. 
Yeah, well, I couldn't get Jim McElwain, oops, who was there when I was there, so whatever. You know what, I tell you, getting Ron, Zook, getting Ron Zook makes up for that. I completely forgot he coached there, and I worked with him at Maryland for two years, so I completely forgot he was the head coach. So That's really cool. Okay, well, Miss Jim McElwain, good deal. Yeah, he is still coaching, you're right. Okay, all right, not too bad. Could have been worse. Which Florida, which team does Florida hate more, Georgia, Florida State, or Tennessee? Ooh, that's really tough. I think it would depend who you ask. It used to be Tennessee, but they haven't been that good. But when they're in town, it used to be crazy. I would say, me personally, the Florida State game is always, you know, a huge rivalry, especially since most houses are split. But um, that's tough because Georgia, too. I don't know. I think we hate them all. No, that's yeah. a good point. I mean, it depends on who was good and when. Like, my Yeah, dad. like Georgia as of late because they've been sure. so good. Right. But it used to be Florida State and, and Tennessee back in the day. But still, Florida State and Tennessee, eh. Have yeah. you and Jenks been texting at all now that Texas is going to join the SEC? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. No, I have to text him about that. He works crazy hours. I work the other. So it's tough. But I'm going to talk to Tim tonight at 11 p.m. on VSIN. So that'll be fun to, to hear him again, too. Well, nice. send Tim our regards as well. Yes. He's joined us on this spot a couple of times. And I guess we might be due to have him back. Maybe that's a good sign here, a good omen that you're talking to him later. <laughs> yes, so hit him up. I'll tell him he has to get back on. It was great seeing you, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, congrats on all the success, and I hope to do this again soon. Yes, anytime. Thank you guys so much. Once again, that was our good friend, Sarah Perlman, nice enough to join us. She's busy these days, Joe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Covering the Olympics, different sports going on. You heard her say she was going to be on with Tim Murray later tonight. So she's got a full day ahead of her. We talked about a lot of different things, but obviously the biggest story and the thing we were talking about with her the most was the MLB, the trade deadline, and obviously the moves that the Dodgers made and the Padres made, the Yankees made. Um, It's the best MLB trade deadline I've seen probably in my entire life. No Um, doubt. Usually you see deals get done on the final day of the trade deadline, which in this case was this past Friday. There were deals get done on Wednesday, on Thursday, and not just kind of these player to be named later deals. Right. I mean, Big it deals. Was mega stars that were getting shipped. Javi Baez goes to the Mets. Rizzo and Gallo go to the Yankees. The Scherzer and Turner trade that just shook up baseball. That was one of those trades, Joe. I saw pass and tweet it. I just happened to be on Twitter maybe two, three minutes after the fact. And it was just one of those, you drop your jaw and yeah. you just, you see the blue check mark and you still don't believe it's real next to Passon's name. And you're like, I mean, the Scherzer I get, but the Turner too into the Dodgers, how they continue to pull off getting all these stars, all these prospects that they have in their farm system. But as soon as they made that deal, I said to myself, they won't win the World Series because everybody's going to pick them. It just looks too obvious, too good. All the talent, all just the pieces and how they I said the same thing to myself with the Tampa Bay Lightning repeating. And I'm not saying it again for the Dodgers. There's no reason not to pick the Dodgers. And I'm going to pick the Dodgers. And if they don't win it, it's because of another really good team from the AL, whether it's the White Sox or the Red Sox or the Astros coming through after what we saw last night at Dodger stadium during this Dodgers Astro series. I hope we get the bloodbath. That would be a Dodgers Astro series in the world series. I think we deserve that. Um, but yeah, after seeing uh, the, the way the rest of the trade shook out, yes, they're the popular pick. No, I'm not shying away from it just because of the popular pick. I mean, just top to bottom, there is not a lineup that comes close and the depth that they have as well. Um, I 
again, I tried telling myself that the whole NHL season, like, look, the Lightning, you know what? Yes, they're better, but there's a lot of other talented teams. They have a popular pick. They're going to run out of steam. I don't, I'm not saying that again. I'm not, I just fell into that and the Lightning repeated. I'm not doing it again with the Dodgers. And the Dodgers don't have any steam to run out of because last year was a short 60 game season and not a longer season. So they're a lot more well rested than the Lightning were. To use if that you do like the Dodgers and everybody else that I'm sure does listening, I would recommend holding off on them because obviously after these trades, their odds aren't any good. And you got to be careful that San Francisco is not going away. And the Dodgers very well could play in that wild card game. And while they do have the most talented roster in baseball, they're likely going to get matched up against San Diego. They're going to win the division. They're going to win the division. I'm not worried. But they also couldn't. Um, My (laughs) question is, if they do get into that wild card game, who are you pitching? Who's your starting pitcher? I'm probably starting starting Bueller. I would Probably starting Bueller, yeah. I would too. And, and then, then Kershaw will come in in the eighth and blow it up. Yeah. And then it's it, it's all hands on deck from there. I mean, I probably I probably knowing their mentalities, knowing Kershaw's history, I probably give the ball to Walker Bueller, give us six, Max Scherzer, give us three, and we're out of there. That's probably how I do it. Um, Scherzer I mean, coming Scherzer's out of the bullpen history is a very scary too in the sight. playoffs can be a little shaky at times. Bueller's the really only guy that. I would give the ball cold, to him. Cold-blooded like, killer in the playoffs. Walker he's given me six scoreless, yeah. maybe one run. Yeah, But um, overall, I mean, look, that was the biggest shockwave was that one. Oh, yeah. um, I was on the Dodgers before that trade. I'm on the Dodgers after that trade, and that's not changing. But some of the other races that were tilted, I'm still, still saying the Yankees are not making the playoffs. But the moves they made made it more interesting. I didn't think they were going to sell. But I didn't think they were going to be big buyers like that. To their credit, they gave up very little and somehow got the Rangers and Cubs to pick up the rest of the tab on Gallo and Rizzo. Don't know how that happened. Um, but they put themselves in a better position by getting two lefty bats at Yankee Stadium. There's still five games back of the Red Sox for the wild card, six back of the race, the division. And they're one game ahead of the Blue Jays for that second – well for that second potential wildcard spot in their division. That is if they can eventually overtake the A's. So again, I'm, I'm focusing mainly, mainly I combine mostly and mainly there. I'm focusing mostly on the ALE still and forgetting about the A's for now, because the Yankees very well may not make the playoffs by virtue of simply not even being top three in their division, which that, that right there doesn't matter what the A's do if they can't get top three in their division, but then you open it up and they're three back of the A's in the win column. Uh, and just one back in the loss column. So it's still a very uphill battle, but getting those two guys, I didn't expect them to be, make those big splashes, uh, and they were able to pull it off. So credit to Brian Cashman for, for pulling something there, um, but then they still go out and lose 7-1 to in the Orioles the other night, and it's like, all right, well, how much has actually changed for the Yankees? You know, <laughs> so. they, uh, you know what's crazy about the AL East is honestly the team, if I were to get into the playoffs outside of Tampa Bay, the team that I wouldn't want to face is Toronto. I would not want to face Toronto. Now that they have Barrios too, and they can come at you with Barrios and Ryu. I was one, just going to get to that and Barrios And that young trade. lineup that they got. I mean, the poor Orioles in that AL East, the four teams that you got on top of you. I mean, they're just, they're not going away. <laughs> um, the move that I absolutely love that flew under the radar was Tampa getting Nelson Cruz, just another great bat. Yeah. That Kevin Cash can plug and play. You keep him in the AL so he can DH for you. 
look, ever since Tom Brady's gotten to the Bucks, all the Tampa teams have just made it to the championship, and there's no reason for me to think that the Rays just won't follow suit. The Glasnow injury, no doubt, is a huge, huge blow. But, uh, you know, with Tampa, with the hitting that they have, with how tough that they are to match up with the postseason, Cash being one of the better managers, all the different arms that can they can throw at you, and it's just the fact that I look around the rest of the AL, and there's really not a team that scares me. Boston, again, with their pitching, yes, they get Chris There Sale are back. two teams that scare me in the AL, if I would be the Rays. Yeah, two. yeah. I mean, again, like the White Sox, I still feel like they're maybe a year away. Boston, I just don't know about their pitching. The Yankees, again, I think the Yankees just have this nostalgia around them that they're the Yankees. And, yes, they have all these talented hitters now, and their pitching is remain to be seen, but I think they just still have too much wear and tear on their pitching, especially their bullpen. Toronto, I'm telling you, really outside of Tampa, Toronto, if they find a way to get in, that would be the team that would scare me the most. It's fitting that you didn't mention them because nobody is, but the team with the second best record in baseball is the Houston Astros, and they didn't once come out of your mouth. So that's the team that is very scary and should be watched out for. And the White Sox as well. I think the White Sox, for all the crap that we have given them, for the Tony La Russa hire and for what Tony La Russa has done, some of the antics and um, how he handled the you know, Mercedes thing and how he sprinted out of the dugout to start a brawl last week uh, against the uh, Indians. I almost said Guardians. That's next year, but we're getting there. <laughs> Starting to train myself. Yeah, that's good. Um, the, and for all that, like he's got this team at 63 and 44, and they got a lot of talent. So, I think I'm still on the White Sox and Astros, but the Rays are probably right there for me. I could see the Red Sox fading. I disagree with Sarah there when she had mentioned it. Yes, they have a history. Yes, Alex Cora is a great manager, but let's not forget that I, they're punching way above the weight that we thought they'd be punching at this season. We had um, Scott Garceau on, and we were wondering who would be in the cellar, the Orioles or the Red Sox. And everything has gone right for the Red Sox, and they have themselves – in a race for first place and they're probably closer to the good version than the perceived bad version going into the season. But the reality is more probably somewhere in the middle where I think their second half underwhelms compared to the first half. So uh, the, the Red Sox, I'm not as high on them as Sarah is or as high on them as some of the other teams in the AL. But again, the, the trades that we saw really shook up baseball. And uh, the one thing we didn't mention for the Dodgers trade I thought the Nats got nothing in return. That was a horrible trade for the Nats. Yeah, the, the Turner Brutal. piece, I really I, I don't understand. I, I argue you could have probably gotten that haul for Scherzer. Maybe I, that's what I was less. saying. When, <laughs> I saw, when I saw that it was Josiah Gray and Kyber Ruiz, I'm like, that's a package for Scherzer. Right. Trey Turner is in his prime, one of the best shortstops in the game. And you got a pitcher in Gray who's 23. So, you know, you wonder, like, has he missed a boat? Like, a lot of pitchers come up a little bit younger than that. And a great point was made this past week uh, in Washington sports media. He's a fly ball pitcher, and that's scary in today's game. Um, so is there a lot there? He was, at, he was at, I think, 42nd on MLB's top 100, and Ruiz was 43rd. So they got the 42 and 43 prospects in baseball for Max Scherzer, fine. But for Trey Turner, who was in his prime at shortstop, I, I didn't really like that at all. Not at all.
Didn't like it either. Um, I like it as a Mets fan. I like it as a Mets fan. I'm sure you did. Um, (laughs) I agree with you about the Red Sox, though, and I think it was telling what they did at the deadline that they kind of realized, like, hey, we're having this great year, very unexpected. We'll go out and get Schwarber, but we don't need to do anything crazy. There's no reason to give up our entire farm system. Ride the wave. That's it. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, baseball will definitely be interesting. The AL and uh, the NL West, too, will be fun down the stretch. Over to the NBA, we talked with Sarah. Obviously, D.C. to L.A. was a big theme uh, last week. Westbrook going to the Wizards. I I mean, same kind of thing with the Nats trade. The Wizards, look, job number one was to get rid of that Westbrook contract, and he didn't want to be here anymore. But, I mean, the haul for him, you know, Kuzma before LeBron got there was a nice player with some potential, but really he's kind of faded off. Montrez Harrell was a great six-man for the Clippers, but then last year he wasn't very good at all. KCP, I mean, you know, he's a solid, like, three-point shooter, but he's nothing special. And then he got the first-round pick from the Lakers that turned out to be the first pick in the uh, second round. But I I think it was just mostly about dumping Westbrook's contract, seeing what you could get in return. Looks like they're going to get Spencer Witte to team up with Beal in the backcourt. Um... But this is just this is the NBA these days. I mean, this is just a star wanting out, forcing his way to play with the super team, gets to go back home, and the Wizards made the best of the situation that they could. A lot like the Nationals now, the Wizards have to do whatever it takes to just keep Bradley Beal there. The, Wiz- the Nats have to keep Soto there, do whatever it takes. you got to build around those two guys for those respective franchises and try to build around them. Um, but... As for the Lakers, how it will work out, I mean, honestly, I just I don't love it. I mean, Westbrook, he's an incredible player. He arguably had the greatest single season of any Wizards player in history. He was phenomenal. But again, the knock on him, and it's true, when you get to the playoffs and you just you can't shoot like Russ can, and unless you're Giannis with his size and yeah. he can affect the game in so many ways – I mean, somebody posted a great photo of when Houston played the Lakers in the playoffs back in uh, Orlando during the pandemic. I mean, the Lakers weren't even guarding Russ behind the three-point line, and now you're bringing this guy in to be your savior? (laughs) Um, You know, LeBron is so good when he has guys that can space the floor around him. That's what makes his And he can't shoot. He can't shoot. And he can do everything else. He'll help you on the glass. He's obviously a great passer. And he probably is the toughest worker of anybody in the league. He goes a zero to 100 all the time. But you're looking for a guy to space the floor and, and another scorer with AD and LeBron and come playoff time. I just I don't know if Russ is that answer. The main point of this trade, after I thought about it for some time and talked about it with a couple of other people, um, I think it's to keep LeBron fresh. I think before he got hurt this year, they realized uh, we're pushing – he was playing more minutes than he's ever played, and he's the oldest he's ever been, obviously. That's how age works. So it didn't really compute. And what is Russell Westbrook? He's kind of a redundancy of LeBron. He's a guy that's going to bring the ball up, going to drive. He's going to create with the ball in his hands. What's he going to do off the ball? Not a lot. I mean, LeBron, to his credit, has improved as a shooter later in his career where he can be – he can space the floor for Westbrook and be a spot-up shooter. He has developed that. Credit to LeBron. But that's what this trade was for me, is a way to keep LeBron fresher for the playoffs because he looked gassed this year after the bubble and then 
starting on short uh, on a very quick turnaround and playing all the minutes he did. Westbrook comes in and he allows LeBron to take some more breaks during the game. Not even necessarily go to the bench. Like LeBron's minutes might be the same, but if you go through and think about how much work he's done in those minutes this past year, he was doing what Westbrook will do. Now with Westbrook in the fold, yes, LeBron will probably still play the same minutes, but there's going to be a lot of possessions where he just goes over and stands to the side and kind of recuperates while Westbrook does his thing. So I thought in the end it was more to keep LeBron fresh in the playoffs, which they absolutely need. But then there's the question, what happens when you get to playoff time? And now all of a sudden you kind of have those two guys who really, again, LeBron improved it, but he's still not known to be a shooter. Westbrook can't shoot at all. Davis, he can pull out and take the three. They add Carmelo Anthony. They add Kendrick Nunn. They've, they've added a few really nice pieces there. It's starting to look like a 2013 all-star team <laughs> as it's going along. Dwight Howard, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dwight Howard, Marcus Gasol. So it's a 2013 all-star team there. But again, I think it was funny, right around the time that the trade happened, a few minutes before that, Woj and Shams mentioned that there was a trade in the works for Buddy Heald. And it was just going to be Kuzma and... Montrez Harrell for healed. Then it turned into Kuz, Harrell, KCP, and a pick for Westbrook. I think they would have been better off with the first trade. I really think they would have been better off with Kuz and Harrell just for healed because he can shoot, yeah. and that's what they need around LeBron. But I then agree. again, when I step back and looked at it, it's it's it does achieve the task of taking some of the load off LeBron's shoulders. So it helps the regular season. I don't know how it helps in the playoffs, though. Now that's helping a great in point. the playoffs is just making LeBron be more energetic which of course helps the team. I guess that helps, but doesn't really help in the fourth quarter playoff game. It's a great point. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, now that you say that, I definitely think that they looked at it from a regular season play and then they just hope that you have three hall of famers and that's Figure good enough out. to get you to the promised land. Figure it out. Only time will tell. Um, now, as we look at the Olympics, the U S women advanced to the gold medal game with their win early this morning, the U S men, are playing Australia in the semis, but the Olympics have been great. I love the Summer Olympics. The swimming is my favorite. I love the track and field. Sarah talked about um, table tennis and how good that is. Handball's awesome. I was talking about this with my buddies too, and I want to get your thoughts. What Olympic sport do you think you would have the best chance at competing in? If I devoted a couple of years specifically to one thing and tried to do that, um, God, I mean, it's, it's like the conversation we always have. Like if you had a hundred at bats against a major league pitcher, can you get one hit? We will always say yes. Cause we think we can, but the answer is you'll go over a hundred. Um, I genuinely don't think any of us could have any success at any Olympic sport because these people have devoted their whole lives to it. But if for three years I was devoted to just one thing and one thing only, it would probably have to be one of the shooting things, whether it's that what they do with the pistol or what, like archery. Like, I feel like three years spent on that, you could like, it's feasible to work on the accuracy and like, obviously there's physical aspects of it, but of all of the Olympic sports, it's the least where you need to be physically gifted. If that makes sense. Like, it's just a matter of how well can you shoot this? How's your aim? And I think with plenty and plenty of practice, you can be halfway decent at it. Probably not still, but halfway decent. But like, I'm not going to sit here and say, 
you know, a high jump or something. I'm not like, no, there's no, nothing, nothing in track involves, and field. Nothing I said involves athleticism. That was even mine. handball involves some athleticism. And like, it, it, it's, you got to learn the sport, the intricacies of it. It takes some athleticism, anything that involves athleticism. I'm out. There's no shot. <laughs> I still stick by handball because, you know, you, you can like dribble the ball and you can carry the ball and then, you know, you can shoot it from long range. I don't know. It's like the most least contact. And while it does involve athleticism, it's not something crazy like a track and field or a swimming that you would just right. have to work at your whole And life. I think, I think the answer is easy for the winter Olympics. The winter Olympics, it's absolutely curling, definitely curling, but the summer Olympics is a lot tougher. It's a lot tougher. For sure. Um, no, the Summer Olympics have been great, though. The ledecky titmus rivalry has been uh, fantastic. Yeah. It's just a shame. You know, everybody's knocking Katie, but she's just not a sprinter. I mean, yeah. she's a long distance. She's trying to work at the 200 and 400, but she's just not a sprinter. But uh, Titmus is the real deal. Those have been great. Sarah mentioned Caleb Dressel. Dude won five gold medals. He's in a category with Phelps, Spitz, Spitz, and, Phelps. and there was one more. Yeah. I think there was a four. It was four of them, but I, I can't remember who the fourth guy well, was. He's, he's a freak, and uh, yeah, it's it's good stuff. What's great is that a lot of these people will be back because now the turnaround yeah, from Tokyo to years. Paris is only three years, which is which is kind of cool. So that's uh, yeah, that's the Olympics. Yeah, there's um, been, I mean, look, there's plenty of stuff that has caught my eye as far as the storylines, um, but like, what? It, it's been so difficult to watch. I don't know what's on Peacock. I don't know what's on. USA with on CNBC, the NBC. most interesting things on Peacock and uh, the tennis too has been a big story. Osaka got bounced early. Djokovic didn't even medal, so uh, there have been some upsets there. Xander but yeah, Shoffley got gold for for golf. Uh, he was trying to choke it away in typical Shoffley fashion, but he managed <laughs> to uh, hang on. That was pretty cool though. In the golf, they had a seven man playoff to determine the, uh, the bronze medal, because obviously you can't have a tie. You have to see who wins. So that was pretty cool. Rory Sabatini, who's nearly 50 years old, shot a 61 on Sunday to win the silver. So that was pretty cool. Um, but I was thinking, you know, I'm watching Slovenia and Luca and how he just might carry Slovenia to a gold medal. And I'm thinking like, who's the bigger deal right now in their countries? Is it Giannis in Greece or is it Luca in Slovenia? It's tough. I would agree with Sarah. I think it's Giannis slightly, but uh, man, Luca is, uh, he's big. I go, I go with Giannis just because it spans two countries. We always talk about Greece, but we forget about the Nigerian aspect of it with his heritage. So it's Nigeria and it's Greece for him where he's just a massive, massive star. And, you know, to, to win the title, you see like there's times where he'll be on the road in Toronto where I believe there's a big Greek population and other places where there are just hundreds and thousands of Greek fans who are there to just see him in the road cities he goes to. So I go with him. Um, but I mean, of course, like <laughs> I, I'm not very well versed in Slovenian culture. So like, I don't know what it's like right now in Slovenia when they watch Luca play, are they gathering in like town squares? I'm sure they are. I just don't know. We don't see it, but we saw it with Giannis because of the NBA finals. So he's the easy answer for now just because we know it's a known commodity. Um, all right. Now moving on to the SEC. And again, Sarah went to the university of Florida. We were talking about it with her at the end, Texas and Oklahoma is now official. They're going to join the conference yeah. in 2025 at the latest. They're actually trying to move that up to see if they can join as early as next year. But this has obviously opened the conversation and now the rumors are starting to swirl. And it happens so fast. 
Kansas on their way to the Big Ten. Florida State and Clemson reached out about joining the SEC. Um, Joe, I think we're on our way to super conferences, my friend. I'm not um, complaining about it. I mean, I, I, I love it. It's, it's I kind of do too. I feel I feel bad for the Big 12 because I mean, if Kansas leaves, like what's your draw in football or basketball? Done. The Big 12 is going to be dismantled. Um, this happened so quick. I mean, last episode two weeks ago, we had it as a hypothetical, like, hey, there's rumblings about this. Let's see. A day later, when we released the ep- by the time we pressed tweet on the episode. Uh, it was already official. So it happened very quickly. Um, Kansas probably goes to the Big Ten. Um, Baylor is probably a Pac-12 team. Iowa State's probably a Big Ten team. Uh, TCU and a lot of those schools will join the American. So the American probably gets elevated to Power 5 status with all they'll be able to catch from the Big 12 as the Big 12 dissipates. Um, it's, It's huge. I mean, these were the two teams that were absolutely the linchpins keeping the big 12 in existence as teams have left the big 12 year after year and they're gone. So there's, there's no more backbone, no more spine in the big 12. It's gone and it's going to fall apart very quickly. I'm very curious to see who ends up where, as far as the super conference thing, if we're going to a 12 team playoff, if we are, which of course seems to be the path we're headed down. I don't mind it because we think about how in the four team you need one loss maybe you get in with two. So to be quite honest, you need some cupcakes on the schedule. You can't play the top teams week in, week out, because you're going to get to three losses and you're going to be out of it. Alabama needs to play Vanderbilt. Alabama needs to play, um, you know, Citadel, right? <laughs> Whoever they schedule right. or Jacksonville state, like at, at random parts of the year, like they need that. Uh, all schools do because, you know, think about Clemson playing, basically all of the ACC because the ACC is not strong at all. Um, and, and you need that. But if you go to a super conference at the same time that you're going to a 12 team playoff now, because there's 12 teams, there's more leniency. You could get in with three losses with four losses. You could prove yourself against the best opponents. We're seeing the best football week in, week out. And everybody wins. The big 12 doesn't win because the big 12 has gone, but everybody else wins. So I'm not complaining. I don't think Clemson and Florida state make the jump. Um, I agree. I, I was reading an article, and at the end of the day, there's just not enough money in Clemson or, Flor- or, or Florida State uh, as far as their TV deals and stuff. Uh, the one team that I did see as part of that same article um, was that Notre Dame is the last team that really intrigues the SEC as far as moving the needle, but I still can't see Notre Dame ever joining a conference. So uh, the SEC probably is what it is once they take those two teams, Texas and Oklahoma, and then let the rest of the pieces fall where they may. I mean, Texas Tech, a team like that, uh, a team like Kansas State, you probably see them in the in the American. Baylor strikes me as a Pac-12 team the way it seems. Um, who else? I mean, Kansas is a home run in the Big Ten with basketball. Iowa State, you get the natural rivalry with Iowa going back to the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a few natural fits there. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting to see. I'm interested too. Do they just dissipate the Big Twelve and just have it join the AAC, or does the AAC come to join the Big Twelve just because of the name True. of the Big Twelve? That, that's a fair point too. I didn't think about it that way. Um, Big Twelve is more brand recognition, so that could absolutely happen. But yeah, man. I mean, Kansas goes to the Big Ten, and the 
poor Big 12. I mean, they already really have nothing left because Kansas football almost outweighs Kansas basketball. <laughs> um, Kansas football might as well be a D3 school. <laughs> right. Not good. But, hey, Kansas basketball in the Big 10, I mean, it's only going to add to it. That'll be, that'll yeah. be pretty good. Um, all right, Joe, before we get to trivia, we've been doing this up until the football season. Because we missed last week, we're going to give two NFL future bets that we like for the upcoming season. So give me your first one that you like. My first one, and it goes hand in hand with the really only one uh, big bit of news, I guess, from the NFL this week, I guess training camps that begun with Carson Wentz hurt, with Quentin Nelson hurt, with the same foot injury. How freaky is that? Yeah. Um, my first pick is Titans minus 130 to win the AFC South. The Texans are horrible. Uh, the Colts, who knows what they're going to be with those guys out, and who knows how long they'll be out for. Foot injuries are always kind of weird where – Guys don't always come back as quickly as you hope. And then the Jaguars are the Jaguars. So still only at minus 130. I think Vegas is kind of holding out hope that whether it's an acquisition at quarterback or whether it's just a speedy recovery for Carson Wentz, that the Colts can kind of have a a good late season kick. But they have such an early, tough schedule that without Carson Wentz, they might be one in five, one in one in six sort of thing early on. So they're really well constructed overall. It's just a question of what can Jacoby Brissett do, especially without Quentin Nelson. So one thir- minus 130 for Tennessee, I'll take that. My uh, first one is going to be the Dallas Cowboys plus 145 to miss the playoffs. I think Dallas is the fourth best team in the NFC East. I'd take Washington over him. I'd take the Giants over him. And I'd take Philly over him, too. Now, I, I don't Philly think – Or the Giants. I don't think they're more talented than those teams, but I think I think they're going to finish last in the NFC. So I'm really I'm not high on Dallas at all. I love Dak, and uh, you know it seems like he'll be good to start the year. I love their offense, but defensively, too many questions. And I, I've never been high on Mike McCarthy. Like you had Aaron Rodgers your whole career, and that's not to say he wasn't a good coach or he wasn't a good offensive mind. But I don't know. I really like Washington this year. Philly, to me, is going to be the surprise team in the NFL. Jalen Hurts has a lot of upside to him, and I like that they brought in Devontae Smith to help him with that receiving core. They needed a change of scenery with the new head coach. They were just giving up on uh, on their coach that escapes my name, who I can see his face, but I can't. Doug Peterson? Doug Peterson, there you go. <laughs> they bring in Sir, uh, Nick Sirianni. Um so I think Dallas is going to miss the playoffs. I actually think they might finish last in the NFC. That's East interesting. Yeah. I could see missing the playoffs because, again, wild card, there's going to be other teams that are as much better than the Cowboys are. They're going to have to win the division to get in probably. So I could see missing the playoffs. Last in the, in the division, I don't, I'm not sure. I think the Giants are way worse than people still think they are. Um, I think the Eagles are going to take some time. Uh, so I can see Dallas just on the offensive talent alone doing enough to finish second in the division. And Dan Quinn, don't undersell the the addition of Dan Quinn defensively. He can take a pile of scrap defensively and turn it into a top 10 defense. So uh, that will help them considerably, but not enough to thwart my second pick of the day, which is the Washington football team to do something that has not happened since 2001 to 2004 when the Eagles four-peated. And that is repeat as NFC East division champions at plus 270. Mm. The defense is just absolutely absurd. Um, I don't know how anybody's going to score points on them. They have weapons now for Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
you're going to take the good and the bad with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And you're just going to have to hope there's more good than bad. Like that play he made last year against the Raiders for the Dolphins in relief of Tua where the helmet was sideways and he threw a 40 yard bomb and they won the game. Um, you're going to have to take more of the good than the bad, but there's going to be some bad. But in this division, which is also very bad, I think nine and seven probably wins it. Or, or I guess 10 and seven, I meant to say. I still got to get the new schedule math down. So 10 and seven or, or something like that probably wins in the division. Maybe even nine and eight if it's, a, if it's again a down year like we think it could be in the NFC East. They're the strongest team all around. And I don't think it's too crazy to say – with that defense, they're like legit contenders, maybe not to win the Super Bowl, but like to win a division and win a playoff game. Like, I don't think that would oh, surprise yeah. me at all. So I would, plus 270 yeah. in a very weak division, I'll take them. Um, my second one, Jared Goff, under 4,000 and a half passing yards. Got to get the hook there. Um, look, Goff in five years under McVay, he threw for over 4,000 yards just twice. And you had one of the best offensive minds with you. You had a great receiving core, good running backs, good O-line. Now you go to Detroit where Dan Campbell's a defensive coach. It's going to be much more conservative, ball posi- uh, ball control. The Lions, you know, they're trying to build a culture there. They're trying to build a defensive identity. They want to be physical. And you're just not going to see golf be unleashed like Stafford was for all those years. And Goff stinks. I mean, McVay got the most out of him that he <laughs> possibly could. And now he's going to Detroit. They're going to be one of the worst teams in football. And uh, I, I, I like it at under 4,000 passing yards. I think it's pretty And they're going to be a run-first team as well. I mean, with DeAndre Swift and the couple right. of other backs they have in there, Jamal Williams, like they're very much a run-first team with that defensive identity. So that's not a bad pick at all. I saw the story today about Campbell. Uh, they asked him, like, how he prepares for every day. The guy drinks two 40-ounce coffees and puts two extra espresso shots in each. That is 80 ounces of coffee and four espresso shots. So I guess it should not actually be a surprise that he is as insane as he is. Yeah, he's it a freak sense now. It he's absolutely makes sense now. Whether he was dropped on his head as a kid, whether he continued to hit his head into his adolescence, or now with all the coffee – he is absolutely insane, but hey, you know what? He's a football guy, and that sometimes helps you out. So uh, we'll see how that goes. We That's will see true. How that goes. Yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting cat they got over there in Detroit. <laughs> I like what um, you did there. Interesting cat, lions. Ah, uh, you like uh, that? You like that? You're catching <laughs> on. It only took you 56 episodes, but you're starting to pick up on me. Um, all right, Joe. Trivia time now. You're up by one twenty-two to twenty-one. You yeah, were briefly golf. tied for like 30 seconds last time. Yeah. Last episode. That's true. We, we each got I'll give you know question. I'll give you the pleasure of maybe being briefly tied again. Maybe. So I'll let you I'll let you answer your question first. Looking forward to it. Fantasy football drafts and season around the corner. Yep. In ESPN standard scoring, testing your knowledge from last year. Quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, defense kicker. Six positions. I want you to give me the top scorer in ESPN standard scoring at each of those positions last year. All right. Um, tight end's going to be Kelsey. Easy one, yep. Uh, wide receiver, I'm going to go Devontae. Correct. Running back, I'm going to go Derek. 
No, strike one. He was third. Okay. Um, quarterback, going to go Josh Allen. Say that again. You broke up for one second. Going to go Josh Allen for quarterback. Josh Allen is correct. So okay. The running back, the defense, and the kicker. You have two strikes, and you have a minute still. The kicker. Oh, it wasn't Tucker. I know Atlanta's guy was up there. I don't know who. Um, defense. I mean, Washington was good. Pittsburgh was good. Tampa was good. Oof. You know, for kickers, I'm going to go with Atlanta's guy. Young who? He was, he was very, very slightly in second place. Oh. All right, I'm not going to get so the Two kicker. strikes. Um, Circle back to the running back if you want, at least to get that one out of the yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, was it Kamara? It was. Kamara, you got 20 seconds left, one strike, uh, one strike to work with, and the defense and the kicker. Let's see if you can pull either. If you can pull either, I'll give it to you because this is tough. All right. Yeah, Ten defense, seconds, the defense I mean, or the kicker. Pittsburgh was just lethal early on. Um, All right, there's the buzzer. Know, if you can pull the kicker or the defense, it, it was not Tucker. Tucker. No. If you would have pulled one of the two, I would have given it to you. Uh, kicker or defense the defense was the Rams so it was actually a team you didn't mention at all oh, yeah. defense was the Rams the kicker was Miami's Jason Sanders oh. him and him and young way Koo the whole season were flip-flopping back and forth Koo missed two games I want to say last year maybe three and that's the only reason he didn't finish number one otherwise he was absolutely number one at kicker but, yeah, uh, the Rams, I should have I should have gotten. I didn't think about them. But, uh, yeah, Sanders, I would have gotten. Good one. Go one, go one. Um, all right, mine for you, going a little outside the box here. We're going USA men's basketball. Oh. Can you tell me the top five all-time leading scorers in USA men's history in the Olympics? Okay. In the Olympics, specifically. Yeah. Kevin Durant. Correct. He's number one. Carmelo Anthony. He's number two. Right. Ooh. All right. LeBron James is at three Olympics. So LeBron? He, LeBron is number three. Okay. I think Kobe was also three Olympics. So Kobe. Kobe is strike one. He was not okay. in the top five. Okay. Mm. Trying to think who's been to the most Olympics. And even when there, you still got to score. I don't remember Shaq doing an Olympics. 50 seconds left. Um, Two strikes to work with. Uh, Kobe. Who else has been an Olympic score? MJ just had the one. Ooh, 45. Mm, this is tough. Tougher than I thought it was going to be. 30 seconds. Um, Dwayne Wade? Dwayne Wade is incorrect. He was in the All top right. 10. I believe he was number eight. Okay. All right. 20 seconds left. Ah, gosh. Yeah, see, I don't – like the Dream Team guys, like I don't know if any of them played again after that because we all talk about the Dream Team, but like then it just kind of – seconds. Nobody cares after that. Um, nah. Yeah. Nah. Tim Duncan, I don't know. All right, not Duncan. Uh, Michael Jordan did make the list. He was fifth. He did. 256 did he, points. Did he play and two then, Olympics, or was that just all in one Olympics? Uh, that I do not know. It's probably all in the one. I don't think he played again. 
If so, that's quite impressive. Yeah. And uh, number four was David Robinson. David Robinson. All right. You know what? Right team. Wrong, wrong. Legendary big man. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Barkley was sixth. If I can remember, I think Bird was seven, Wade eight. Um, I don't think Kobe was even top 10, which I was Mm. pretty surprised by. Interesting. Well, good question. So we stay where we are. You didn't get your brief tie. I don't get up to a a question lead. So. Well done. Thanks again to Sarah for uh, joining us here on episode 56. It was great seeing her again. Great to get her insight. Uh, I love the Mancini story with how gassed he was because Joe, those dudes, I mean, and look, I mean, the baseball players are some of the most athletic athletes, obviously, but uh, it's just crazy when you put them in that format where they just have to swing, swing, swing for the fences, how tired. It makes sense. Like think about it. You, all right, you go play 18 holes. You're probably not going to have any blisters on your hands. Probably. You go to the driving range, you hit 100 balls, you tear your hands up. It's just you're not meant to do that many swings in that rapid succession. Yeah. And same thing for the home run derby. Like, that's just Good how point. it goes. But speaking of gas, I'm, you, you, made it, you made it through your Colorado trip. I heard the hike almost killed you. <laughs> almost killed me, Joe. Never again. Colorado, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful state. A lot of people like living there. I would not be one of them. Just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't do it. That elevation is no joke. Um, I mean, I don't even ski. I don't snowboard. I just enjoy my hikes here in Maryland. I don't need all that 14,000 feet crap <laughs> that where I'm nearly dying. No, thank you. But a uh, really nice day. Have you ever been out there? I have not, but I do want to get out there. And I'll, I'll mentally take the note not to hike the way you did and the way Davey, a former guest on this show, yeah. did. If you do, if you do, and anybody out there, make sure you stay in Denver a couple of days, get used to the altitude, and then go out to the mountains. We went out to the mountains the day after we got in, and uh, we all made it to the top, but it was it was not easy. It was a How lot was it coming down? Coming down was actually fine. Easy? You have to take some breaks here and then, but uh, you know, obviously going down all that altitude and elevation helps you out a little bit. So yeah. it's it's pretty nice. Best breakfast place in the entire country is in denver colorado it's called snooze if you ever get a chance to go their french toast is just it's absurd french toast with altitude there you go unbelievably good so <laughs> All yeah right, well we'll have to take those mental notes for a future colorado trip but uh, for episode 56 i guess sarah perman our guest sarah perlman let's get that right <laughs> and pj glasser i'm joe malvin thanks for tuning in to episode 56 and we'll be back in the next week